Hi everyone, this is Dave Wright and welcome to the Player Development Project Podcast. It's great to be back online for 2021 and we hope you're staying safe and well wherever in the world you're tuning in. In exciting news, the PDP team has already been working hard on more great resources and initiatives for our community and we're looking forward to bringing those to you this year. We'll also be announcing our first webinar guest of the year very soon as well, so watch this space. Now today's podcast is a Q&A discussion that I enjoyed putting together with PDP Technical Advisor Dan Wright and the video version is now available on the website. The question is, should I have a theme to my training sessions? Dan and I really enjoyed this question as it throws up a lot of considerations for coaches. We dive into the pros and cons of having a theme or topic in mind and what the benefits or risks of this approach can be. So hopefully the conversation provokes a bit of thought. We always value your thoughts, so if you've got an opinion on this topic, contact us via our social channels or connect with us on the PDP Slack community. Now, if you haven't joined Player Development Project yet, you can sign up as a PDP member at playerdevelopmentproject.com. Our free 30-day trial is still available, so you can explore the platform and all members' resources and join the content for up to a month with no charge. Head to playerdevelopmentproject.com, select a monthly or annual membership and dive into the library of learning content. Thanks for joining us today. I really hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi everyone, my name is Dave Wright and welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A discussion. As per usual, I'm delighted to be joined by PDP Technical Advisor Dan Wright. Dan, how are you this week? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, mate? Good, good. Uh, looking forward to another great community question. This time it's come in via the PDP Slack community. And the question's come in from Gav and it is, should I have a theme for my session? It's a really interesting one because it's, I guess it's one that comes up a lot with the coaching community and, you know, we all love to plan and so on. So why don't you sort of start us off with your first thoughts, mate? Yeah, so this was something that was mentioned on the, the Slack group and we, we kind of bounced it around a bit, didn't we, between us two and a, and a few of the members. And so Difficult to always give the, the nuance and the detail on those kind of platforms, so we're, we're going to try and unpick it a bit in a Q&A. So I thought maybe that the, the first place to start would be um, kind of season plans and, and curriculums, maybe versus um, age and stage, what the kids need, uh, and maybe what's emerging from the game. So we're definitely going to go down a few rabbit holes and um, put in a few, it depends on this and depends on this. So I think... Um, quite a few coaches really like to have the whole season or a whole block of work mapped out. So mm-hmm. week eight, we'll do this. Week nine, we'll do this. Or, or a curriculum or a kind of cycle of possession, uh, in and out or transition or whatever kind of that, that game model might be. Um, and, I, and, I, and I wonder, like, this is probably a good, a good place for, for us to start. The, the, the constraints or the restrictions that that gives you versus, like, the team are really struggling with this or individuals in our group need this so when the curriculum says we're working on one thing but the group or the individuals in the group need to work on another thing what do you do then um but that that was kind of one of the first points we we kind of bounced around wasn't it Mm, certainly was and i think this takes me back to a masterclass discussion years ago with ben bartlett when uh when we first filmed our first masterclass with him around uh, non-linear pedagogy and constraints-based coaching Um, and you know, he talked about reductionist approaches to coaching. And I think it's, it's one of those where at times we want to just, um, I guess 
organize everything and put things into categories. And yeah, there's moments within the game, but I guess my views changed a little bit on this over time in the sense that I would have been probably quite an advocate for curriculums, particularly when I was in the academy system um, versus now where I think it is sort of mainly around what are the individual needs if we're developing players. And then there's obviously going to be some team tasks and team focus around that. Um, So I think there is a desire to organize things and put things into a linear fashion when they don't necessarily evolve that way. I would, however, put the caveat on it that I think having a plan is helpful. And, and you'd know that better than anyone, Dan, given how much we work together, that having a plan is helpful and there needs to be um, some sort of structure around a program or, and, and whether that program is just to get players in and then create total chaos, there's still a structure there, right? There's still some organization. So I think we've got to avoid going down this kind of strict curriculum and we must do this topic in this session every time and have some trust that, Um, We can create practices that look like the game where there's attack, defense, and transition. And as coaches, we're learning all the time about what we're observing, what we're listening to, understanding the individuals in the environment, and and all of those moving parts, and that we can actually make decisions with our eyes and ears on the run. So that's Mm. that's sort of an initial thought around the linear nature of that planning piece. Yeah, and I think the the idea that like... um, you know, some people might argue learning in general, but but learning a sport or or be you know learning skills to play a sport that we go, you know, almost like a, a reading age. We start with one, and then we move to two, and then we move to three, and then we can get to four. When when we coach a group of players, people are going to learn different stuff at different times, and people are going to learn something quicker than somebody else. So the idea that the curriculum is kind of moved down the road, but player is is right at the beginning. You know, what what do we do then? Um, so I think we've got to get get more comfortable with that. Um, one, of, one of the things we kind of spoke about was the, the maybe having a, a theme of the practice. Um, but like you said, if the theme looks like it, the game or the practice's design looks like the game, that gives us a bit more wriggle room to coach things that might emerge. So maybe, maybe again, that's kind of fueling our bias of a, a games-based approach or, or more opposed sessions versus you know, uh, less technical, isolated sessions. So if our, if our game kind of has direction and, and opposition and maybe some goals and generally looks like football, then we might start with the intention of coaching X, but actually something else might emerge and it gives us gives us opportunity to maybe go slightly off-piste or you know, if we're working on one aspect but the defenders are really struggling with um, defending as a pair, then we might be able to, to talk about that um, within the practice is that is that something that kind of resonates with you if we've got if we've got a game or a design that looks a bit like a game then yeah. we're probably able to coach more than one thing at a time I guess and yeah. also if, if number four on the list becomes more important than number one on our plan yeah. then we're happy to kind of flit around a bit yeah there's one that sort of pops into mind it's the old attack versus defense session right we've been there as a player we've probably coached it where we just go actually we've got 14 players tonight we're going to do attack v defense and that might involve a back four and a midfield three up against the front three and a midfield three and maybe there's a center back sitting behind on halfway and you may be constrained by the fact you've only got half a pitch to train on in your environment so that that's one where i think well actually you could within that framework of a seven v seven and half a pitch how many different themes could you work on? Like you could go playing out from the back and then you've also got to think, well, 
actually that's conducive to working on pressing because if you've got opposition in place, then perhaps they're focused on pressing while the other team plays out, or maybe they're focused on blocking. Now, maybe as the coach, you don't have to set that theme. You could see what emerges and what we need to work on. So if we're constantly getting popped in the press, then maybe there's an opportunity to go and coach and ask some questions and say, well, actually, how can we prevent this team playing out from the back? Um, because, and I like the term hidden learning. It's one that I heard a lot when I was working in Australia around, um, I guess, that one outcome lends itself to another. So there may be a main theme, but there's going to be something else emerging on the pitch for the opposition or, or individuals around it. So that's kind of a, a simple example there where I think actually you don't get one without the other. And that's, that's mm-hmm. kind of how I sort of see it in some ways. And didn't talk about this on the Slack group, but it's kind of just popped into my head now. It's probably the space around having two coaches or a coach and assistant. So the theme might be playing out from the back, but I can't stretch and challenge or show loads of different pictures of how we might play out from the back. Like you said, if the team aren't pressing appropriately. Mm. So it might be that you and I sit down and design a practice, uh, whether it's you know a phase of play, a function, or you know, a small side of game or whatever. And my primary focus is maybe in possession and your primary focus is out of possession. And we might just have to know each other really well and know the kids really well to know actually it's your turn to step in and, and maybe help them or can you rev them up a bit to get to get a better press or we get loads of success clipping to fullback. So can you yeah. stop that? And then I think between coaches, it's again like how much of that is explicit? Like I'm going to work on this, then you work on this, then I work on this. Or yeah. you set your team a challenge and make it really difficult and my group have to try and find a solution to, to, to work it out. I think, again, that that is football for me. That is like the kind of um, tactical battle or game intelligence or game craft or whatever people want to call it. Yeah. I think we can we can be comfortable that, you know, we've got some broad ideas and some broad principles of, of what good looks like, but what will actually come out in the session might be, yeah. might not be controlled or might not be on our spreadsheet. Yeah. Um, I think I think I'm getting more comfortable with that. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, so it is a luxury to have two coaches and there'll be certain coaches out there that have that. But one of the things that was quite big through the A-license process around realism was about managing the opposition. You know, you might be going out there to coach a 10v10 scenario on two thirds of a pitch, for example, and you're being observed and you're getting some feedback as part of that process. Um, And if the opposition aren't doing aren't playing in a realistic way. So maybe maybe you're, again, working on playing out from the back and maybe they're not pressing or maybe it's playing out against a low block. So we need them to be in a low block. If you're not kind of managing that to create um, the scenario that you're working on, then that's not necessarily going to lend itself to, to helping either team because there is a lack of realism through either, you know, potentially laziness or players not being switched on, or maybe we haven't articulated the task clearly. There's all these kind of variables that, that I guess we can have some control on. And it was interesting to go through that process reflecting on it a number of years later and think actually that was one of the things that we all had to work on was was ensuring we've got all this focus on what we want to work on with our team but if the opposition suddenly not coming to the party then that's going to affect things so if we're preparing for a game against a team that plays a high press but our team in training who's set up to replicate that isn't isn't um, putting in the effort or, or delivering on that then that's going to create some challenges so I think that's another one where managing the opposition is something to have in the back of your mind. And again, using your eyes and ears, what are you seeing in front of you and what's starting to emerge? So that's, mm. that's sort of another, another thing to think about, I guess. Yeah. And, and on the cohort that we were on, there were people maybe reflecting on their sessions 
and they only saw their team. So it was like I was struggling to coach this or struggling to find the opportunity for the yeah. players to practice this. Or And you were like, well, that, that wasn't the problem. The problem was there was no space behind or yeah. the problem was they were playing with a back five and you you would, you want them to be in a back three. So you've got to, you've got to find a way to manipulate that, whether it's um, implicit through clever session design. So they've got to get to a certain recovery position or you know they've got to get out of a certain space when the ball goes backwards or whatever or you go a bit more command style like you said and, and tell them that when the ball goes here I need you here up you come um, and, and and again that was an interesting learning like you said for us I, I think to offer like a bit more of a, a radical point of view I, I'm kind of moving towards a space where if we've got like a, a style or, or how we want to play um, you know, whether that's kind of moments of the game or team targets or, you know, just an identity of how we want to play football. Then we've got players that have got individual needs, you know, super strengths and things they want to work on. And then we've maybe got in, in a high performance setting or in a, in, a, in a setting where we're maybe thinking about players going on a journey or on a pathway, we've got an idea of what the players might need at the end of that or, or for that next step. So we've got those three things. Um, style of play, individual needs, and maybe what we're trying to help the players to to, um, to look like in terms of a skill base, then the curriculum is probably, or the themes or the sessions or whatever words you want to use, is probably like the glue between those things. Mm. So if we've got a consistent style of play, you know, possession-based, or we want to counter-attack or whatever, yeah. an identity, and then we know that Dave and Dan and these kids are working on these things, then your sessions will kind of get designed between those two two things. And then it's maybe the the last bit is, if we want them to be able to do X, Y, Z, or they need to understand how to press in a four-three-three or whatever, maybe the first team manager or yeah. you know the, the next step in our in our journey is, is requiring, then we know that we need to help them get there. Yeah. So that those kind of three bubbles for me, I think the curriculum is probably the gap between those, rather than the curriculum is is everything, and then we kind of push and mold the kids into this this yeah. spreadsheet. It's if those things should be the rocks. Like we want to we want to dominate the ball. We want to you know, attacking creative players that can take risks or whatever that la- language is. Yeah. And then we know Dave's working on his left foot, Dan's working on his recovery runs, okay? Session probably could look a bit like this. Yeah. And then we're giving repetition of those things. That That's kind of where I've got to. I, I think I had two questions for you. What, what do you think of that as a, an idea? And then do you think like you have to go through some years of curriculums and session plans and reflecting and maybe... Um, getting that itch of like, ah, oh, I wanted to coach that, but the curriculum says this to yeah. kind of get to that space. Or do you think it's very individual and some people really like structure and process and some people will be a bit more comfortable with like what emerges from the game? Emerges from the game might be box four, like yeah. in my kind of mental model, or does that go into individuals <laughs> and style of play again? Like it's it's all kind of, yeah, a yeah, bit fluid, isn't it? There's a lot to consider there. So I think, first of all, there's risks. So I think we can, we can talk about that. So if we focus our attention on one area, what are the risks? But if we say that we've got a style of play and the game is always the same in terms of scoring goals and stopping goals, is there a risk that we're trying to stuff players into a style of play who maybe that style of play doesn't lend itself towards? So I think that's mm-hmm. something always to weigh up is throughout the season, mixing up the way we play. And I'm not saying that you have to go away from a philosophy. We still want to play out of the back, but maybe we're going to do that in different shapes or different ways. Um, so that's just an example. So I think there's a risk of, of saying, well, you know, we've got this um, individual focus and we've got this program, but we always want to do it in a 4-3-3 and we're going to play out of the back. Well, actually, to go on and play as a footballer, maybe you need to experience running in behind or maybe you need to experience playing in a different shape. And I've seen this with teams where, you go, okay, for the next six weeks, we're going to work in a three-five-two, and 
you got kids putting their hand up going, I've, I've never done that before. And you're thinking, well... See, that, well, might, that might be bubble three in my yeah. crazy model of like, we expect kids to be able to play in a few different shapes. So that might jump ahead of style of play because you want them to be flexible yeah. or comfortable, or whatever. It's, it's, it is a really good, um, it's a really good topic to, to bounce around. Sorry, I cut you off then. It is. I think the second part of your question was around, do you need to experience those things? So the resistance, like I'll put my hand up and say, if somebody comes to me and says, I need you to deliver this session, I really struggle with that, you know, because that's somebody else's session. And I think, well, actually I can see the framework and I can see what they're trying to achieve, but I, I'd, I'd like to put a twist on it here or maybe I'd do it this way. And that's something that over time I've got more confident with because I don't think that that's necessarily conducive. So one of the things we've always advocated for with the PDP session plans is take them, but they're adaptable. They're, they're a framework. So here's a structure, here's some ideas, here's options for different numbers of players and just, just mess about with it because I, I think just – Handing people, okay, here's, here's an exact solution to a topic. Here's your session plan. Go and deliver it. I think as coaches, we've got to be more skilled than that. The other part to that is that working in environments where perhaps there's, um, whether it's values or whether it's the approach or whether it's the philosophy that doesn't quite align, there's pros and cons to that too because that can be really beneficial because it puts you out of your comfort zone. It can also be really conflicting because it doesn't necessarily sit well with you. So I think you've got to put yourself into environments from a coach development perspective to say, actually I'm going to work in an environment which is quite rigid and then I'm going to go over to this place where it's quite loose and there's a lot of freedom. And you, you kind of find yourself in terms of where that sits for you on the spectrum of how you'd like to deliver. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a, yeah, there's a few things there to consider, but the risk with a strong theme for me, if we go down this, this rabbit hole as such, is that maybe we take our eye off the ball as to something else that's happening. So let's say that we're looking on controlling possession or switching play. And so we put that idea into the player's head and suddenly they're moving the ball side to side, but perhaps as a result, they're missing opportunities to exploit space centrally, which is, a, which is emerging in the game. So what are, what are your thoughts around this? Because I think it's a, it's a challenging thought when we all love to plan, but you know, it, can, it can sort of direct the players in one to one area because we're talking about it versus actually what do you see in the game? Yeah. This is like inception, isn't it? There's, there's questions, <laughs> questions. I think, I think if you're really explicit with a, today we're going to work on switch and play, the practice looks like this, what we want you to do is X, Y, Z. We can be really um, drawing their attention to certain things in the practice and it can, it can be a bit false, it can be a bit artificial because, like you said, there may be missing opportunities to, to penetrate in a different way. Yeah. So I suppose first kind of bit in my brain would be like, are we always explicit with the theme or what we're looking to achieve with the session with the kids? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say not always. Like there's times where, you know, I'll put on a practice and I'd say, you know, it, it will look great if it looks like this or say to the kids, like what will look great in this kind of practice? And they'll have some of the answers. There'll be other times where I just explain the practice and they crack on and I step away. And then we might say, what's the practice about? Or what are we trying to, trying to work yeah. on? Or, yeah. you know, how, what are we working on in possession, out of possession? So there's that check and understanding and making sure the practice is real. I think if we, if we have a really narrow focus, like I'm thinking of a switch and play game, four goals where we have to go wide and we have to score. The, the pros of that is they're going to get loads of repetition of maybe checking their shoulders, opening up, receiving in a certain way, switching maybe with short passes, switching with long passes. We're going to have loads of width. We're going to have all the things that perhaps you want to switch play, mm. but we're going to miss maybe putting it 
down the middle of the pitch, maybe playing over the top, maybe clever little combinations in the centre to go through, maybe shooting at a goalkeeper, yeah. maybe forward runs in behind because we only need to go wide. You'll get defence spreading out, which you won't want. Like you get people defending yeah. the four goals and not the centre of the pitch. So I think you've got to kind of keep switching that lens. So we do a switching play game that might be four goals, and then we do a phase of play where we're trying to go through the middle because the idea of switching play in the 11 bit 11 game is to switch to get inside. Like you always have to come inside to score a goal, whether it's a cross or a combination or whatever. The goals aren't out there. So know that like by putting on that practice, it's good because of X, Y, Z, but it's poor because it, it doesn't look like the bit that they need to do on Saturday and Sunday. Mm. So I don't know if that's answered your question, but like <laughs> you, need, you need to think about if the practice focus is really tight or the theme's really tight, or you do 90 minutes of one thing, by doing that one thing, what you know, we're doing A on the alphabet. What about the other twenty-five letters that we've missed? Yeah. And the the more narrow the focus for me, the less context that you'd have in the, of the game. If that if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's trade-offs, right? So if we think about like we put our curriculum in place, we put our plan in place, and we say right over the season we're going to do this, and we're ticking those boxes as we go because that's the program we, through evidence and through experience, we believe is going to get players to maximize their potential then at times there's a risk there that perhaps there's something that actually needs addressing, whether that's on an individual level or whether that's on a team level, that maybe they're really struggling in an area right now for any number of reasons. So do we actually shift the program to one side and say, actually, for the next two weeks, we're going to focus here because we can see what's emerged. So I think mm -hmm. that's a little bit of a balance um, there. And I think the other big one that you touched on was, does it look like the game? Now that for me applies from a 1v1 right through to 11v11. Does that moment that you're trying to create, whether it's a 1v1 where the ball's turned over and a player has to react and suddenly it's a duel from the front, whether it's a ball put down the side and it's a duel side to side or from behind or a different angle, are you creating moments within your session design that looks like the game? And if the theme, if the theme is there and it's strong and there's that narrow focus, the benefit may be, as you said, that level of repetition. So we're working on our four goal game. We're opening up, getting into good receiving shapes, scanning a uh, different range of pass, all of the things that potentially you need to play in central areas longer term. So we're, we're going high repetition, narrow focus. Uh, and again, this is manipulating the practice spectrum versus a game with perhaps, um, as you said earlier, it may be that players just have to get to a certain point when the play restarts, which therefore creates some space in behind so we can start working on forward runs and, and defending long balls, which would be conducive as, as two topics, again, with one theme and one hidden learning. So there are trade-offs. I think it's a really fascinating question. I, I feel like this particular discussion has been a really good ramble in terms of throwing some ideas around and... Um, exploring those trade-offs and those pros and cons. So I think it's an interesting one. We certainly haven't had the answer, but when the question came up on Slack, it was, it was one that I think is really challenging and really confronting for coaches. I any final thoughts to wrap this one up, Dan? Yeah, I think um, we, we touched on it briefly around like what do the individuals in the group need? I think it might be worth just for two or three minutes again, like unpicking what we mean by in players having individual plans or players having individual focus. So Ideally, what we want is is a piece where we've we've sat down with a player and we've co-created a plan of, Dave, you're gonna, you know, what you're really good at, what are the two things that you think will help you, you know, be better in the, in the game. So, mm. broadly, maybe a, a super strength and, a, and a, an area of development. And depending on the age and stage of, of your players, you might just have one focus. You might have three. You might have a really kind of uh, bright and uh, an invested teenager that could cope with four or five targets. But each kid having some areas of focus. 
And I think maybe when we talk about this on these Q&As and, and, and webinars and stuff, people are thinking about individual development being maybe just me and my ball or a 1v1 or a very small practice, which, which is true. Like that can be individual development. Yeah. But we can also coach the individual through team practices. So if we're doing a positional game or doing a possession practice, a directional possession practice or a small set of game, there might be this overarching um, curriculum focus of um, penetration. Yeah, forward passes to, to create goals. But then we might be really focusing on one player, maybe our number four, um, and he's working on his body shape to receive. So the, the individual focus might be like, I'm coaching the team this, and the practice design is this, and we want to get these returns, or we want to create these kind of moments to, to, to paint these pictures. But when I'm working with this individual, I'm going to work on when the goalkeeper gets the ball, can the number four create that back diamond with the two centre-backs to help us play out, to help us play through 360, to be really brave to receive the ball. All, all those things that coaches maybe know. Yeah. But I'm only going to look at that individual in the practice. I yeah. still coach the practice and I still help people within the practice and try and keep my eyes open for other things. But I'm just going to look at this individual or these two individuals yeah. that might have the same target. That would be how I would see kind of a, an individual focus in youth football with players to get better rather than maybe just um, isolated practice or 1v1s or 2v2s where this get, we know we're doing individual development. I, th I do think that's possible, but we, we can also coach the individual in the context. Yeah. Um, and again, that might be a way where you've got your curriculum theme on, on topic X, but I'm working with Dave around this little thing that's on his IDP or, or, or on his individual development plan um, to try and get success. I think we've bounced that around quite a few times and people get um, you know, maybe not sure of what that might look like. So that, that's a, a really clear way. And then if you have got a body of work, as you go through those blocks, you could go, which are the kids that we would shine a light on? So when we're playing out from the back, it's probably going to be our goalkeeper and our two centre-backs. Sure. When we're switching play, it's going to be our three midfielders. I'm going to avoid using numbers because it always gets us confused <laughs> which, which midfielders are talking about. When it's like attacking in wide areas, we're going to work with our full-backs and wingers. So that might be a really good way to, to maybe... Um, keep a foot in both camps we're doing a curriculum of course we are we're following the plan but actually the individuals in that plan might might become the, the real kind of um, area of, of super focus does that does that make sense yeah it does I think it's an excellent summary around how to how to develop those individuals I, I go back to the interview we did with Dan Machichi years ago when he was working with the England under 16s and he spoke about a flexible framework so I think the, a big takeaway here is Yep, we've got to have something in place, particularly when, when players are coming into systems and they're, they're, whether that's at a, a grassroots or an academy level or otherwise, there's got to be something in place in the form of a structure and then a belief around what we, what we believe to be true, um, what our philosophy potentially is. But I don't think we should get bogged down with week-to-week -week curriculums, topics, and always being chained to that. But there are those trade-offs we've talked about with, uh, with themes and, and with a focus. And we've just got to understand how we find that balance. So, Dan, I think it's fantastic insight, really good thoughts from you. And hopefully we've shared some ideas here which help Gav and other people tuning in to this particular conversation. As always, thank you so much for your time. No worries. And uh, let's continue the conversation, right? Like there's, there's so much to consider. So... We can go back on the Slack and maybe revisit this, revisit this Q&A in, I don't know, another six weeks or so. Absolutely. And uh, we will look forward to another player development project Q&A very soon.